everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. Ooh, <laughs> it's a ghost of Christian. Now I'm here back again to we- haunt your ear holes with baby. <laughs> First of all, I have so dearly missed recording with you. I'm so glad to have you back. I know. I had almost forgotten what, how to use a microphone. Yeah, we did have to check to make sure that both of our microphones still work because it has <laughs> been so long since we've recorded together. We've had so many wonderful, amazing guests in this parenthood hiatus that we've been on, but I'm not married to any of them, so I'm really glad to have you back. Yay. We come out of this hibernation with a brand new third co-host... In the studio, live, making his media debut, it is Finley Weatherford, our baby. Hi, Finn. Hey, Finn. <laughs> so if you hear little baby sounds, it's because of the baby. <laughs> he will be my scapegoat for all of the editing you'll have to do. And the scapegoat for all of the fart sounds. <laughs> all right. So joining me. At the microphone is Finley Weatherford. You may get some baby ASMR, baby sounds. That's okay. This is just the zoo of us. Each animal that we review on the show, we will rate out of 10 based on three categories. Effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. (laughs) I am also excited, Finley. We are not zoological experts. We do a lot of research and try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. So, it's been... One week since uh, you looked at me. <laughs> what, three months since we last did one? Yeah, so during that time I put out tons of guest episodes which have been really awesome. So, anybody who is maybe new this episode, there's quite the backlog of really cool guest interviews going back to the last 3 months or so. They've all been wonderful, but this is us. I'm sure that people who have been keeping up with us weekly have missed the beautiful sound of your voice. I can only hope or perhaps it was just a nice vacation from it. <laughs> Now you're stuck with us again. So, important question. Yeah. Whose turn is it to go first? Well, I'm holding the baby, All right. so it's you. I'll go first then. Okay. All right. So, uh, for my triumphant return, I selected the animal, the Ohm. I'm really excited to hear about this. Yes. Yeah, spelled O-L-M, Ohm. Scientific name, Proteus anguinus. Ooh. Proteus, that sounds Latin-y. Yeah, this species was submitted by no one. By yourself. It was (laughs) for you. This is a self-care episode. Yeah, so I got the idea to do this from an episode of a TV show on Disney XD called Amphibia. I love this show. I like it too. Very fond of it. It's an animated cartoon about talking amphibians, mostly frogs, but other things. Um, There's one episode that involves two very large ohms. They referred to them by name, and I had never heard of them before. I really like the show Amphibia because it goes into a lot of underrepresented amphibians that you don't normally get to see depicted in cartoons. For sure. And also, old school RuneScape features an ohm as a boss fight. Really? Yes. (laughs) What a deep cut. (laughs) I know that because when I was trying to find video of them, that was the first, I don't know, 
four Google page results <laughs> of people doing this boss fight in RuneScape. Oh, no. <laughs> so I had to be like, minus RuneScape. Yeah. <laughs> I've had to do that with so many animals. <laughs> you have to, like, tailor your Google search yeah. results. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, found at animaldiversity.org, as well as Amphibia Web, found at amphibiaweb.org, not related to the TV show at all. Okay. <laughs> Amphibia is other things. Yes. <laughs> yes. So this is a website that has lots and lots of information about amphibians. What if it was just the fan wiki for the amphibia? <laughs> yeah, we have very little to talk about. <laughs> so let me just jump into it. I'll describe these guys. These are long and skinny salamanders, which are an amphibian, like frogs and toads. They look like lizards, but they're not lizards. This one looks, looks less like a lizard. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do it got legs? Yes, it does have legs. So it has four legs, actually. So its front two legs have three toes each, Okay. while its back legs have two toes each. So something that separates them from sirens is that sirens only have two very small vestigial legs. Oh, the little flappy legs in the front. Right. Okay. They have pale, translucent skin, which will make more sense when I talk about where they're from. They have long, rounded snouts. They kind of look like puppy dogs a little bit, and their tail is flat like a paddle. Like vertically flat or horizontally flat? Vertically flat, kind of like a sea snake. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You're coming back to what you know, huh? <laughs> so these are interesting little dudes. Um, so I mentioned what they're color-wise. They kind of take on a pale whitish color usually, but there's a variant called a black ulm, which at one point was thought to be a subspecies, but not so much anymore. They have permanently dark skin and a shorter head. Oh, yeah. interesting. There's a shiny. <laughs> Basically. Size-wise, their average length is 23 to 25 centimeters or 9 to 10 inches pretty long. Now, the first very interesting thing, in my opinion, is where they're found. So these guys are found in subterranean freshwater lakes. So think of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit with the scene with uh, Smeagol or Gollum. So subterranean meaning underground, right? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. They are native to countries along the Adriatic Sea. For those not so familiar with the geography like myself. Like us both. <laughs> that is between Italy and the Balkan Peninsula, the area of ocean to the east of Italy. As far north as Slovenia and northern Italy, southward through Croatia and Bosnia, it was introduced to the French Pyrenees Mountains in northeastern Italy and found in water temperatures between 8 and 11 degrees Celsius, which is 46 to 52 degrees Fahrenheit. So That's pretty chilly. Pretty chilly. A little chilly. Yeah. They belong to the taxonomic family Proteidae. In terms of evolutionary relatives, they're the only species in its genus, but within its family, there are also water dogs and mud puppies <gasps> in the Necturus genus. Wow. <laughs> those are powerful names. Yep. And those are aquatic salamanders found in the eastern U.S. and Canada. Now, I've heard of mud puppies before in mm. reference to the Pokemon Mudkip. Yes. And that makes sense uh, because of the external gills. Mm. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little okay. later. Actually, now. <laughs> As I scroll. Uh, so starting with our first category of effectiveness, yeah. these are physical attributes, the things that let them do things good. Mm -hmm. Do good. <laughs> do good. thing. Yes. I'm giving a full 10 out of 10. Beautiful. Coming in swinging. <laughs> You're starting off strong. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about is how it is aquatic. So this is a neotenic salamander, 
which means it doesn't undergo metamorphosis like other salamanders. So it maintains characteristics usually associated with juvenile salamanders, like external gills. Now our listeners might remember us another animal very similar to this, which is the axolotl. That's a throwback. Yes. Way back when. <laughs> so the axolotl is also displays neotenic properties because it can reach sexual maturity without metamorphosis, but can in certain situations, right? Mm-hmm. But it's bad. Yeah. Now, this is in contrast to other salamanders. For example, you found a black belly salamander in Georgia over the summer. Mm-hmm. That is an example of a salamander that does grow out of such characteristics. I was really excited about it. Yeah. So when they're in their larva stage, they have those kind of external gills, but they grow out of that. I talked to Travis Kurtz mm-hmm. about salamanders a few episodes ago. Oh, okay. Um, he talked about a salamander that is endemic to the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. Oh, yeah? This is more like a regular salamander, though. Sure. They, they do grow up. Yeah, yeah. Not a, not a Peter Pan <laughs> salamander. So very important since they are a entirely aquatic salamander living in these bodies of water underground. When you hear amphibious, typically yes. that's like in reference to an ability to live both in and out of water yeah this one's like no 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 i mean it could i don't know though because <laughs> typically you know when a salamander grows up it's getting these properties that let it leave the water mm-hmm. right they're like mm, no <laughs> which it could it could probably breathe a little bit outside of water but you know the salamanders that tend to keep their external gills usually means they need them to breathe better because like the, the lungs they do have won't be enough oh uh, okay that makes yeah. sense So these guys, the Olms, they reach an age of sexual maturity at 14 to 15 years old. That's so old for a little long dude. Yes. And their breeding interval is every 12 years on average. 12 years? Yep. Now, of course, the next logical thing to talk about is their longevity. Yes. Good (laughs) Lord. They're in no hurry, huh? They are thought to be the longest lived amphibian species. Their predicted maximum age is over 100 years. No, it's not. It is. That's wild. The second longest lived amphibian species would be the Japanese giant salamander, which is 55 years. That's such a huge gap between the first and the second. Yes. almost. So if that that estimate is accurate, it almost doubles the second place. What is so special about the Ulm that lets it live so long? It's probably the metabolism, if I had to guess. You mentioned that they live underground, right? So I'm assuming it's quite dark. Yes. Something that I talked about with our buddy Benjamin Lancer, he talked about naked mole rats. Mm -hmm. And naked mole rats obviously live underground where there's no sunlight uh they also live like way 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 longer than other rodents do Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that's just a function of living underground you just get to live a hundred billion years so their average lifespan is 68 and a half years and that's because they've been kept in captivity for up to 70 years goodness yes (laughs) i wonder if like they already knew that it was going to live that long, or if they just every year they were like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> it was still growing. The darn thing hadn't died yet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, longevity, very impressive for an amphibian especially. Their eyesight. So being underground creatures, they do not have great eyesight. It's poorly developed. And even in the pale-skinned variant, its eyes are actually covered by skin. Oh, gosh. Yes. Don't need these anymore. We're done with them. But they do retain sensitivity to light. Okay, that's probably beneficial, Mm -hmm. at least. The absolute bare minimum (laughs) of eyesight. Yep. 
Next is their smell and taste. They have chemoreceptors that can sense low concentrations of organic compounds in water. Good sniffers. Yes. But it's also, it's that kind of thing with a Jacobson's organ where it's kind of like smell, but also kind of like taste, you know? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. They have good hearing. Basically, it's able to pick up on sounds and vibrations in the water pretty well. Okay. And its last sense that I wanted to talk about is its geomagnetic sense. Whoa. So studies suggest that ohms use the Earth's magnetic field to orient itself. Really? Yeah. I didn't think magnets were going to come up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're talking about cave salamanders. Those are cool. And lastly, for effectiveness, is their diet. It mostly includes insect larvae, mollusks, and amphipods, which are small crustaceans, but will gladly eat worms in captivity. I like the uh, descriptor of they will gladly eat worms. (laughs) They've eaten the little worms up like... So just to get your reaction on recording, have you looked up a picture of these things yet? Um, I feel like I've seen pictures of them, but not recently. They're not fresh on the brain. Find a good one that shows off its snoot shape. Okay. Here we go. You know I love a good good little snoot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Look at you. That is very puppy-like. Yes. You're right. <laughs> Gosh. And that's very unlike other salamanders, I feel like. Right. I don't know of any other salamanders that have that sort of like muzzle almost where it just kind of juts out in the front of the face it definitely looks like that especially when you see the part where the upper and lower jaws separate Mm -hmm. huh it does look like a straight up muzzle yeah like a snout very interesting because other salamanders that i've seen have just it's just one flat like kind of curve in the front of the face yeah nothing really that sticks out yeah uh ingenuity not a whole lot to talk about here just given to six out of ten based on their mating behaviors they normally live in groups sometimes, like under rocks and stuff. They'll, they'll group up when they can. But that changes when they start getting into mating. So when that starts, the male will establish a mating territory. So they, they guard these territories against other males. And then a female enters the territory. The male will fan his tail towards the female. Ooh. <laughs> I've read that this is thought to be something to do with the spread of like pheromones in the water because mm-hmm. you know they're very keen on this on the sense of smell. Sure. Uh, Got a waft. He's wafting. <laughs> um, I won't go into much further detail from this point forward. Thank as far you. As, <laughs> but basically, they bump into each other with their snouts and oh, they do their thing. They kiss. Not really. <laughs> not really. That's not where they bump each other. Oh, no. Never mind. <laughs> undo, undo, undo. Uh, so, yeah, they do that thing. And then the female leaves the male's territory and she makes her own egg laying territory where she'll lay up to 70 eggs under rocks where she guards them. <gasps> Good mommy. Yes. And the eggs take anywhere from 86 to 182 days to develop, depending on the water temperature. Less time if it's warmer. But you said that they only breed every, like, what, 12 years? Yeah. Good lord. (laughs) So that's all I got for ingenuity. Aesthetics-wise, this might be odd, but I think they're cute. So 7 out of 10. They are pretty cute. Yeah. What you just showed me was pretty cute. I think so, too. They look otherworldly, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, the nose shape and um, the eyes under the skin bit is a little off-putting. That's not great. Just a little bit. They're pale and slimy. They do actually have a coat of mucus on their skin. Aw. <laughs> Snot puppies. Yeah. They look like what it might look like if there were puppies on like Neptune or something like that. <laughs> oh. Like an alien species that evolved underwater. 
So some miscellaneous information. Their conservation status is vulnerable with the IUCN. So things that threaten them are their fragmented and limited distribution. So they're only found in these under, underground bodies of water. But also their environment has a huge sensitivity to water pollutants. Mm, this makes sense. Yes. I think this is common with amphibians because... They need mm-hmm. to breathe through their skin. So anything, any pollutant that gets in the water mm-hmm. is especially bad for them because it just gets into their whole body yep. right away. Yep. And because of the, the way that environment works, you know, we're talking about things that get spilled into the, like the earth and the ground and surrounding areas and then leach into this, these underground sources of water. Mm, you got some seepage going on. Yeah, not great. No. But also what threatens them is collection for pet trade and collectors. Really? Yes. I wouldn't have thought. Because they're considered, you know, they're they're super hard to find. Yeah. So, you would essentially have to, like, go spelunking to get one, right? Well, where they are found are places where these, like, caverns and stuff open up to the outside world. Okay. I um, mean, I think they're usually juveniles in that stage. Little babes. Yeah. I just can't imagine wanting to have one as a pet, though. It's just because they're rare. That's about it. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of when people get parrots? Yeah. They they just live for so long that like you have to have a plan for what you're going to do with this animal yeah. after you die because yeah. it's going to outlive you definitely. Yeah, yeah. So my last little fun fact, which I'm going to quote directly from AmphibiaWeb.org. Proteus is considered a national treasure by the government of Slovenia, which honors the species by placing it on one of its coins. There's also the Proteus Postonna Speleobiological Station, a museum which features Proteus, along with other invertebrate cave fauna. This museum is visited by thousands of Slovenian schoolchildren and tourists every year. Oh, man, I wish I got (laughs) to visit an underground museum. I know, it sounds interesting. That sounds dope. Maybe we can go visit if we're ever in that part of the world. If we just happen to be stopping by Slovenia. Yes. So that's the Ohm. I like this. Yeah. What were they like in the show? huge giant and not underwater and trying oh, and trying well. and trying to so they 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 made them look like uh large kind of uh, i'm imagining a dragon it was kind of thing. like a, a worm dragon type thing but they did the external gills and they also depicted them with visible eyes that were like white to indicate they were blind okay because that was part of the thing they couldn't see but they could hear okay yeah and they were trying to eat the main characters. And it wasn't until after the interaction that they they they, called, they referred to them as Olms. Huh. Yeah. We need to get some herpetologists as consultants to <laughs> the Disney team. Well, I'm, I'm sure they knew. But they, they made some artistic changes to make the show more interesting, I Just suppose. put them in the water. <laughs> How hard is it? But then what about the other amphibious main characters? <laughs> Which also can go in the water. Now there is one human main character. Okay. But well. she was not in this scene, so I don't well, know. Well, then, so it was easily doable. <laughs> so that's the own Wonderful stuff. Thank you, baby. Thanks, honey. I'm so glad to have you back. It's good to be back. <laughs> I've missed you. Mm. We are able to continue to make this podcast thanks to the support of our wonderful patrons over on Patreon. This week, I'd like to thank Jacob Jones, Jacob Schick, April Kamick, Brianna Feinberg, Sarah Peterson, Vikram Biliga, Brandon Everfolly, Britt Vickstrom, Dalton Weeks, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Patricia Morgan, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you all so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. 
What are you bringing to the table this week? So this week, I'm talking about the maned wolf. Ooh. <laughs> the scientific name is Chrysoceon brachioris. Okay. Uh, this species was submitted by Amber Beasley, who sent this in via Facebook message. Thank you, Amber. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I'm getting my information from Smithsonian's National Zoo, as well as Animal Diversity Web. Now, Brachiurus, that name means short-tailed. And I wanted to include a quick note in here that there is a creature in the Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 system reference document called Brachiurus. Oh, and it is a large magical beast described as primal ancestors from which all lesser wolves and canines have descended. Oh. Yes. And then the artwork depicting it kind of looks like a werewolf. Okay. Yes. I think that's kind of interesting. There's other species that have Brachiurus like, as a species name, but this is the only canid with that name. Huh. So I don't know if this was specifically a reference to the maned wolf, but just kind of interesting. When I say maned wolf, you probably have a, an image in your head of a dog of some sort, a dog-shaped <laughs> thing, right? Honestly, the first image was like a golden retriever wearing one of those Halloween lion costumes. Okay. It's not that. That's not what it is. So what I want you to imagine is a fox, like a red fox. Okay. And then take it in Photoshop and use the stretch tool to just pull it vertically. Oh, okay. Just stretch it right on out. Um, it's a very long fox is what it is. <laughs> vertically long. It's a tall fox. Sure, sure. I should have said tall. That's the other word. <laughs> um, they are up to a meter, which is 3.3 feet tall at the shoulder. Wow. It's pretty tall. It's yeah. like, like a big dog. Now up to only 30 kilograms, which is 50 pounds. Okay, skinny. They're very skinny. Yeah. They're very lean. So very tall, but not a lot of chunk to them. Okay. Uh, they're found in grasslands and savannas in Central South America, particularly a region of these wooded grasslands in Brazil. It's called the Cerrado. Um, you'll find them a lot there. But like in other areas in like Central South America, but mostly in this one particular area of Brazil. So maned wolves look, like I mentioned, they look a lot like very tall foxes, Yes. but then they have wolf in the name. Okay. So it's like, mm, are they a fox or are they a wolf? But they're neither. They're, <laughs> they're canines. Okay. So they're like in the canine family, but their closest relatives are these South American bush dogs. Interesting. Yes. So um, they're more closely related to them than canids that we'd be more familiar with in the United States, like mm -hmm. wolves and coyotes and stuff. Mm. So what's kind of cool is that you can tell that the maned wolf is not a, what's called a true fox because true foxes have vertically slit shaped pupils like a cat that huh. like opens and closes yeah but maned wolves have perfectly round pupils like other dogs and wolves huh. i never yeah. i guess i never noticed that attribute of foxes i hadn't either really huh. um until this pointed that out i think it's because they're a nocturnal predator uh, a lot of nocturnal predators have those vertically slit shaped right. eyes. So for effectiveness, I'm giving the maned wolf an eight out of 10. They have these long, thin legs and the long, thin legs are really useful for helping them get around and see over tall grasses because they live in these mm -hmm. really tall grassy areas. So they need to kind of be up to see over them. Um, they have these big kind of bat like ears 
So their ears are huge. (laughs) And they can rotate their ears around to help them hear prey that's scurrying around in the grass. And then their teeth are these really long and thin pointy teeth. They're not like when you imagine like a wolf's teeth that are kind of broad and good for just crunching. These are like skinny teeth. Can I take a guess at what they hunt? Yeah. Small birds. Yeah. Little birds would be, would basically anything just small yeah. that they can catch. Okay. Like rodents or fish or huh. anything little, basically. They have sometimes been observed going for like young deer or things that are a little bigger than that. But when you're talking about like a big fully grown like ungulate or something, they're sure. probably not. So I took that guess just because in sharks, that kind of teeth mm-hmm. are meant to grab slippery prey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do eat fish. They do yeah. eat like small fish and stuff. So it's good for trapping little squirmy things. Right. Not so good for crunching though. So right, they're right. not going to be able to bring in, bring down anything big. They're omnivorous rather than true carnivores. Okay. What's interesting is that they, they really like to eat fruits and vegetables, particularly this one fruit. It's called a lobera. Or the Fruta de Lobo. So both of these names, Lobera and Fruta de Lobo, uh-huh. both mean wolf's fruit. Oh. In reference to how much of it the maned wolf eats. So this one particular fruit can make up up to half of the diet of the maned wolf. That's a lot. Yeah. So they really love this fruit. Is this an agricultural thing in that part of the world? Or is this just a, mostly a wild thing? I think it's a wild... I, I didn't see any particular like significance of this fruit like... I don't think it's often used in culinary applications. Yeah, it's just puppy dogs can't get enough of this (laughs) cool fruit. Um, So I thought that was interesting because you don't normally hear about like omnivorous canids. That's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So for ingenuity, I'm giving the maned wolf a 7 out of 10. Their hunting strategies are actually really similar to foxes. So they do the same jumping in the air and pouncing down on their prey from up above. Like, uh-huh. you know, when you see the foxes just kind of like springing up into the air. Yes. Yes, and they snow. do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do it in like grass and bushes too. Yeah. But I think I've only seen video of it in snow. Though. It's particularly impressive in the snow. Yeah. I think like, you'll see it in the snow a lot because it just looks really cool. Um, but maned wolves do the same thing. They're like jumping up with their little paws like tucked in. It's really cute. Uh... So they sometimes will bury food and save it for later. And come back to it some oh. other time. This is kind of startling. When they do vocalize, they make this... They have a couple of different vocalizations they can make. But this one in particular that they make is a low-pitched, this really guttural sounding... It's called a roar bark. Hmm. And it is not the sound that you expect them to make. And when they're stressed or threatened, they can actually make the fur in their mane stand up. Oh. So... Normally, when you look at them, they don't really have much of a mane. Like, the the fur on their neck is longer than on the rest of their body. But it's when they're feeling, like, territorial or, or, or threatened that they'll really make it stand up. And it looks more like, you know, yeah. a lion's mane or something like that. So, unlike wolves, as we think of them, maned wolves are solitary. And they prefer to live alone. They don't don't travel in packs like our wolves do. Mated pairs will share territory, but they just kind of come together during the mating season. And for the rest of the time, like they live in the same territory, but they don't hang out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They come together to like have the puppies and that's it. And then they're done. They're like, okay, we'll see you next year. (laughs) They are territorial towards each other outside of the mated pair. So, like, if a different dude was to try to come along, 
not happening. Mm-hmm. No. He can kick rocks. Goodbye. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is apparently not unusual for like canines, but I didn't know that canines do this. So this was news to me. So when the puppies are weaned off of milk, but they're not quite ready to eat meat yet, the parents will chew the food and regurgitate it into the mouths of the puppies like a baby bird. Oh. Yes. I didn't know. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> dogs do this. Oh, man. I have a dog. I didn't know they do this. I, you know, I guess that makes sense with how often she can throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me wonder if some of it was intentional. <laughs> Maybe she was trying to feed us. <laughs> or the floor. Or the couch. <laughs> Well, so anyway, maned wolves do this, as do other canines. It's not unique to them. So the last category for the maned wolf aesthetics, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody. Give them a full 10. They are beautiful. They are so, they just have such like long, slender, like graceful, elegant features. That I mean, I didn't put anything in my notes for this section. I just put the word seriously. Like, <laughs> it's just... Just look at them. They're so good. (laughs) Really beautiful animals. I wanted to wrap up with an interesting anecdote that might not be true, but I'm going to put it in here anyway. Okay. Maned wolves are territorial towards each other. And the way that they keep each other away from their territory is by marking it with their scent in their urine. Their urine has a particularly strong odor to it. It's really, really smelly. This odor has been described as similar to that of cannabis. Really? Yes. So much so <laughs> that there is there's a story that the police were called to Rotterdam Zoo on suspicion that somebody had been smoking illicit substances in the zoo, only to find that it was the urine of the maned wolf that was causing the smell. Well. Yes. <laughs> I have not found confirmation of this story because every source that I found reporting this story pointed to each other. It was like Wikipedia that quoted like some other article. Yeah. It wasn't from anything that was like from the Rotterdam Zoo. Right. It's like I couldn't really find like confirmation of it. I just, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it because that's really funny. It is. <laughs> I think if it happened enough, you would think there's like a sign or something that says... What's that smell? (laughs) (laughs) Not illicit drugs. It is not drugs. (laughs) Please don't call the police. Again. (laughs) At our zoo, we have a bunch of signs up that, like, you can tell were put up by frustrated zookeepers that didn't want to keep answering the same question over and over again. (laughs) Like there was a, a cheetah at our zoo that had a an injury on its leg and he was limping around and they had a whole sign that was basically like, he's fine. <laughs> he was injured a very long time ago. <laughs> it has healed. He's all right. Stop asking us. Well, you know what they say, you know, rule signs are written in blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So take that story with a grain of salt. I just thought it was really funny. It is funny. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. A plus humor. Thank you. I'm very funny. (laughs) I don't know if you know this. (laughs) Well, that's all I had for this week. Thank you so much to everybody who has listened this week. Thank you, Christian, for rejoining us once again. I know you've been missed. I'm happy to be back. You can come hang out with us virtually. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Just search the title of the show and you will find us, I promise. If you have an animal that you want to hear us talk about, please send those to us. You can send those to us on said social media profile message DMs. (laughs) (laughs) 
Or you can send me an email. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. Only say nice things to me, please, or I will cry. And a final <laughs> note that I would like to include is a thank you to Louis Zong for allowing us to use his song Adventuring off of his album B-Sides. Thank you, Louis Zong. Thank you, thank you. I'm very proud of our baby. He has settled down quite nicely. He has. He's baby burrito and asleep. I wonder if the microphone picked up any of his baby sounds. I hope so, because I think I responded a couple times. So if not, <laughs> it's not going to make sense. Well, <laughs> that's just bonus content. There you go. You get baby sounds for free. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.